Well, this Christmas season, as we celebrate Christmas, Christmas literally means Christ worship. And so our desire at Redeemer is to worship Jesus. Our desire is to lift Him up uh, as Lord of all, uh, to live in obedience and to love the world. And so I pray that as we celebrate this Christmas season, as we uh, celebrate it with family and loved ones, that we would indeed worship Christ. I want to uh, take just a brief moment and just thank Miss Summer uh, Lloyd, who uh, was very, um, very diligent this year in uh, purchasing poinsettias in memory of our loved ones. Uh, she is the one who uh, was the the point person coordinating the decorations of our uh, sanctuary, and they look absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and so I just want to thank her. I know she's sitting back there wanting to crawl in a hole as I'm talking about her, uh, but I think that it's only right that we acknowledge her for all the hard work that she has put in. So thank you very much, Miss Summer. Uh, this morning we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6, and we're going to be talking about expectations. So many of us, and, and, and this Christmas season, it, it's very... Uh, The Christmas story is a story of expectations. The Jewish people expected a certain Messiah. They they did not necessarily get what they expected, but they expected a Messiah. The fact that Jesus was first worshipped by a bunch of shepherds is not what would expect from the Messiah. The fact that as Jesus rose from the grave, the first witnesses of his resurrection were a bunch of women was not what was expected. In fact, All of Jesus, all of the story of the gospel is not what was expected. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And it came about that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John, in prison heard of the words of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Let's pray. God, as we see your word taught this morning, as we see Jesus, Lord, may we see not what is expected, but may we see what is true. Lord, may we not look through our own presuppositions and our own preconceived notions, and may we see Christ for who he is as the King of kings and the Lord of lords who paid for our eternity by his own precious blood. We thank you. Pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts here this this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that as you leave this place today, that you will see Jesus not as you expect him to be, that you would see Jesus not as you presuppose him to be, but that you would see Jesus as he is. That you would see Jesus as he is. How many of you know that that we go through life we we go through our lives and we interact with people 
And most of our interaction and most of our conclusions and most of our conversations are filtered through our own presuppositions. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and at the end of that conversation you thought, okay, they did not hear anything I said. We had this conversation and they left that conversation thinking exactly the way that they thought before because they heard everything that I said through their own filter, through their own presuppositions. That's how 99% of the conversations with my wife go. She says, I, I, you know, she, she has in her mind, she has, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what my husband's going to do for me. This is what we're going to do as a family. And so we sit down and we have a discussion. And, and most of you know how those discussions go. I talk, I present my, my, my argument, and then in the end, yes, dear. Whatever it is that is, going to, that is going to allow you to accomplish what you came into this conversation hoping it accomplishes and usually end up, uh, ends up what we end up doing. <clears throat> we have our own presuppositions. We have our own understandings. And those often color every aspect of our lives. Our thought process, our conversations, our behavior. They are all, they are all in some way, shape, or form colored by our own presuppositions and our own expectations. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble later on. I'm already in trouble. Uh, but I wanted to share with you, my wife wears mom goggles. And, and many, many mothers wear these same goggles. They think that, that their children are in some way, shape, or form so much more beautiful, talented, intelligent than every other human being on the face of the planet. Oh no, there are other cute children, but not as cute as my children. There are other children who are talented, but not quite as talented as my children. I remember as we began uh, performing Christmas performances and, and things like that, uh, it was very obvious that, that my wife wanted my children to to sing and act and all these, these, these Christmas plays. And so she put lots of energy and effort. And my oldest son, I'm sorry, Daniel, I'll apologize now. My oldest son is unbelievably talented. But a singing voice God did not give him. Uh, he can play the guitar. He can play the piano. He, he is, is very passionate about everything. that He can play bass. He's great at baseball. But for a singer... He's a pretty good pitcher. And I remember those first few Christmas programs whenever my wife insisted that he have a solo. And she sat on that front pew and she watched him stand up in front of that microphone and as off-key as his dad sings, he just belted it out. And she was grinning from ear to ear and it became very apparent that my wife wears mom goggles that she sees things not as they are but as she would like them to be and i believe that most of us go through life with those presuppositions well i want to look at the text because i believe that john is wearing goggles himself he is looking at jesus through filters he is looking at jesus through what he expected now, let's look at what John knew. What did John know? Well, the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, that Jesus was baptized by whom? John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, not because he was the first Baptist, but because he baptized people. And, and, and you're, you're going to hear somebody say, oh, well, Baptists date all the way back to John the Baptist. That's just not true. John the Baptist was called John the Baptist because he baptized people. And, G- and Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And John baptized Jesus. And as he baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove. He heard the voice coming from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so Jesus baptizes Je- Jesus is baptized by John. And John is witness to the Spirit of God descending upon Christ, the beginning of his ministry, and God saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John witnesses that. John is there. Not only that, John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 29. John sees Jesus coming down the hill, and John makes this statement, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the Messiah. And John, cognitively, he understood that. He baptized him. He said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. Jesus said, John said of Jesus, he said, there's one who's coming after me whose thong of his sandal I'm not worthy to untie. John made this statement. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, I must decrease that he might increase. He understood his role. He understood that I am not the Messiah. I am the one who's coming to prepare the way of the Messiah. I am the one, the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of him who is to come. And he sees Jesus and he says, here is him who is to come. This is the Messiah. This is the one whom I am supposed to go before. So John knew all of this. And then he comes to Jesus and he says, are you? the one that's to come now he's already baptized him he's already witnessed the holy spirit come down and land upon jesus and the voice from heaven this is my beloved son he's already said behold the lamb of god he's already said i must decrease that he might increase he's already said i'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his shoes He's already made all these messianic statements. In fact, he has commissioned his disciples. He has said, go, I am not the Messiah. Go, follow him, lead. He is the one. He is the Messiah. And then he gets thrown in prison and he says, hey, go ask Jesus if if he's really the Messiah. He questioned. Even after everything that he knew, it's a good thing that we're not like that. How many of us in our own lives are witness to God's faithfulness day in and day out? We see God's blessings. We see God personally interact and intervene in our lives. And then as He pulls us out of one tragedy, as He he rescues us from one horrific situation and we enter into the next situation, we respond with John, Okay, God, are you sure you can handle this? Are you sure that that, that you're going to be able to to get me through this difficult situation? I know, you know, the whole Red Sea. I know the whole wandering in the wilderness. I know that, you know, you were able to, you know, defeat Goliath with a stone and a sling. I understand that you were able to to rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. But this is different, God. I mean, this is really important. I can't make my mortgage payment next month. This is big. I know you were able to, you know, raise Jesus from the dead and all, but this is really big stuff. 
I want us to hear what John asks. And, and, and I want us to understand, too, whom John is. Because in just a few verses, Jesus is going to say, there is no man who is born of woman that's greater than John the Baptist. That's it. Of all the people who've ever lived on the face of the planet, ever, John the Baptist was the greatest. And he says, Jesus, are you sure you're the Messiah? So what I want us to hear, guys, what I want us to hear, church, is that it's okay to be human. It is okay to question God. God doesn't get his feelings hurt. God doesn't get angry. God doesn't get upset with us whenever we question him. He is big enough to handle our questions. He is big enough to handle our doubts. He is big enough to handle our our humanity of faith. He's big enough. And he doesn't get his feelings hurt when we question his godhood because his godhood is not in question. John asked, are you the one? So we look at what John knew. John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And now let's look at what John asked. He said, are you the one? Why? Because God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah chapter 55 tells us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. And whenever God acts in a way that is different than we expect him to act, that naturally brings us to question who he is so what did john ask john asked are you the one now john had already answered this question he had already said jesus is the one he is the messiah he is the one whom god has called he is the one whom god has appointed but why is john asking this question because jesus's message was not what was expected I want us to go back and I want us to look at John's message. I want us to go back and look at John's message. Go back to Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. And let us see if we can understand why John is confused. Why is John asking these questions? Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. But when he, talking about John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able to take these stones and raise up children of Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. That was a real light and fluffy message, right? Fire, wrath, burning. John preached a message of wrath. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your sin. Repent, wrath, judgment. It's coming. Very similar to the message of Jeremiah. That there is wrath and judgment that is coming. 
John preached a message of judgment and wrath. And where is John now? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. Where is John when he sends message to Jesus? He's in prison. Right? And where are all those who were supposed to be the objects of wrath and judgment? Not in prison. In power. In authority. And John's saying, okay, Jesus, I baptized you. I watched the Holy Spirit fall. I watched God say, this is my beloved son. You went into the wilderness. You came back. And all of a sudden, this judgment and wrath that I've been preaching didn't come. And yet, I'm the one in prison. I'm the one who is experiencing judgment. I'm the one who's experiencing wrath. This doesn't make any sense. This is not what I expected. John was in prison. Go to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. John had heard this message of Jesus. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4, verse 18? He says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of the sight of the blind, to set those free who are downtrodden. Where is John? In prison. He had heard Jesus preach that I've come to set the captives free. And where is John? In captivity. John very likely expected judgment. He expected expected a political freedom. He expected expected removal from, from the oppression of the Roman government. Yes, John understood that it was a spiritual Messiah, but John was not immune to the the influences around him. John was still a Jew. John was still living as an Israelite, expecting that the Messiah would come to deliver them, not only spiritually, but politically as well. John had an expectation. He had a certain certain framework with which the Messiah was supposed to fit nicely into. And Jesus came as a fulfillment of the Messiah. John had been preaching judgment, wrath for all those who were against God, freedom, deliverance for all those who were for God. John was for God. He's in captivity. He's experiencing judgment and wrath. And those who are against God are not. It didn't make sense to John. Let's look at what John heard. We knew what we understand what John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He had a mental understanding that that Jesus had made this statement that that I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. John had authenticated that. He had seen that. He had, God had confirmed it with him. But John asked the question: Are you whom we are expecting? And what did John hear? Or what did John not hear? Look at Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said in verse 4, Go report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Is there anything in that passage that speaks of judgment. Is there anything in that passage that speaks of wrath? 
punishment. No. What do we see? We see healing. We see restoration. We see grace. We see mercy. Nothing about proclaiming judgment. Nothing about freeing the captives. Nothing about wrath. Interestingly enough, is there anything about Israel? Is there anything about a nation or a people? No. Look at the text. The blind, the individual, the blind receives sight. The lame, those who are broken. The individual who is broken is healed. The leper, those who are diseased are cleansed. The individual who is deaf, hear. Those who are dead, the individual is raised. Those who are poor, the individual have the gospel, the good news preached to them. Jesus' message to John was that I am less concerned about Israel as a nation and more concerned about the Israelite, more concerned about the individual, more concerned about those who are captives of sin, those who are in bondage, those who are blind. Not necessarily physically blind, but spiritually blind. Those who are individually in bondage. Jesus' concern was so much more with the individual. All throughout Jesus' gospel, he meets the woman at the well, the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus. Countless times throughout the gospel, we see Jesus encountering individuals, the woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years. Jesus impacted people on an individual level, on a personal level. That's how Jesus meets us, personally, individually. That's how he calls us, personally, individually. He calls us to repentance, personally, individually. Jesus is not concerned with calling the nation to a corporate repentance as much as he is calling us as individuals to a corporate, to a, to a individual repentance. And then as a people group, as a church, we may repent. As a nation, we may repent. Notice the, the, the passage, the Old Testament passage. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven, I will heal, heal the land. The, the, the plight of our nation and the, the hope of our nation, the hope of, of, of this world is not that we as a government would get better, but we as people would get better that we would be healed from our own sin, that we would be broken from our own, our own failures. It's so easy for us to stand and point the finger at everyone else and cast a stand up on a soapbox and cast a prescription for fixing the church or for fixing America. When God's concern has always been us. Matthew chapter 10, we see Jesus commanding his disciples. He knows every hair that is upon your head. God is concerned with you individually. John expected a certain message from Jesus. He expected wrath. He expected judgment. He expected political Messiah. Jesus came not preaching wrath, 
not preaching judgment, but came preaching grace. Came preaching forgiveness. There is a reality that within the church, we expect grace for ourselves. Wrath and justice for everyone else. As individuals, we want to be treated graciously. We want to be treated with kindness and mercy. But we want everyone else to get what they deserve. What is painfully obvious throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the very character of God is a character of grace. Even in the Old Testament, God was long-suffering with both sinner and saint. God was slow to judgment. And He was abounding in loving kindness and mercy. If you just look at the patriarchs in whom God used, Abraham was a liar, a thief. Moses was a murderer. Jacob was a liar who stole his brother's birthright. David was a murderer and a thief and an adulterer. We can take a cursory glance at the Old Testament. We can look at those whom God used. We see that God is a God of great grace. You look back through the history of the church. Martin Luther, pillar of the Protestant Reformation, cursed like a sailor. John Calvin was a womanizer. All throughout the history of the church, we see God using broken men. We see God using men who were, who were broken and sinners, who were liars and thieves and murderers and adulterers. Why? Why does God use broken men? Because when He uses broken men, His grace is exemplified. His grace shines through. And this morning, there are those of us who are here. And we're here, and we're thinking that, that, that there is a, a certain requirement that, that, that we have to, to be somehow, we have to be good enough to achieve, or somehow we have to be good enough to receive the favor of God. And Jesus came and He said, it is not about how good you are, It's about how gracious I am. God is a God of grace. John expected wrath and judgment, and Jesus said, I came not to bring wrath and judgment, but I came to bring grace and mercy and kindness. There are those this morning. I want to invite you, as we close, to see Jesus as the instrument of grace.
The law works wrath. The law works judgment. And for thousands and thousands of years, the nation of Israel experienced judgment and wrath. And Jesus came that He might satisfy the wrath of God, completely fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, and give to us grace. If you're here this morning and you've been trying to be good enough for God, let me invite you to come to Jesus. You don't have to be good enough for God because Jesus already was. God desires to pour out His grace upon your life. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You that You are a God of grace. We thank You though, that even though we look through our presuppositions and our expectations, we expect certain things Lord, may this morning, may we see Jesus for who He is. As the very embodiment of grace, mercy, kindness that we do not deserve. We deserve judgment and wrath that John preached. We deserve the justice of God. But in Your great grace, You gave us not justice, but you gave us Jesus. Who said, though you are, though your sin be as scarlet, I will make it as white as snow. And there are some of you here who've been trying to be good enough for God. You've been trying to, to be obedient enough, faithful enough, the message of the gospel is clear that all have sinned and come short of, the glory, short of the glory of God and that God demonstrates His great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Cease striving. Stop trying and trust in Jesus. There's some of you here who have certain expectations of church members. Expectations of leadership. Expectations of family members. And God has spoken to your heart to be an instrument of grace. So we go into this time of invitation. May you find yourself obedient. May you deal with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.